This episode of The Orthodox Conundrum deals with sensitive material and contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. My name is Scott Kahn, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, who is currently in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights. He is the author of Halachic Positions, What Judaism Really Says About Passion in the Marital Bed. And I spoke with Rabbi Shapiro, as many of you heard, in a previous podcast on the Scott Conversation. We talked about his life. Today we're going to be talking about something a bit more, I'm not going to say controversial, but perhaps a little more sensitive, and that is we're going to be talking about the topics that he deals with in his book, and in particular, we're going to be talking about some of the misconceptions and preconceptions that people bring when talking about sexuality in Jewish law. So first of all, Rabbi Shapiro, thank you again so much for joining me today. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to jump right in, and the book has, at its very opening, a summary of what people usually assume is halacha lamase, the standard halachic model, and it's based on the Shulchan Aruch, the Machaber in particular, of Yosef Karo, in Orachayim Simon Reish Mem. And I'm going to read a little bit from page 26 in your book, where you summarize some of the basic analysis of what the Shulchan Aruch, the Machaber, says. So if you'll indulge me just for a moment, I'll go through some of the basic ideas. I'm going to read your words. If one were exposed only to the above excerpts of Jewish sexual law, as many young Hasidic Haredi men and women are, one could not be blamed for walking away with the following impressions of God's will. During sex, a husband's focus must be entirely on his wife's sexual needs or benefits to their unborn child. His own sexual needs are unimportant and, in fact, deplorable. A husband's curiosity to explore his wife's genitals is unJewish. It is not only forbidden to do so, it is a kind of insult to God. Kissing the female genitals is disgusting and absolutely forbidden. Talking is restricted. It might lead the man to think of other women. Ideally, the husband should approach the sex act as a matter of obligation, performed hastily and in a state of awe and fear, not love, connection, and passion. The missionary position is probably the only position considered acceptable by God. I could keep on going with more things that you write, but this is, I believe, from my own teaching and from what I've heard from other people as well, what most people assume is the standard halachic model, and unless they hear otherwise, this is what is presumed to be the Jewish attitude towards sex. The Jewish attitude towards sex is assumed to be that we don't deplore it. In fact, it's a wonderful thing. However, it is highly restricted even within the context of marriage. Is that an accurate depiction? In my experience, that is what most people, at least in the, again, the Hasidic Haredi world, are taught. It's possible that in the modern Orthodox world, people are taught a more expansive uh, approach. But again, as you mentioned, this is based on the fact that what most people's first impression of when it comes to Jewish sexual law, their first impression comes from Orachayim Simen Reish Mem 240 in Shulchan Aruch from Yosef Karo. And basically, what you were um, summarizing there is basically that Rav Yosef Karo there starts off by explaining that a person should basically be, when he's with his wife, entirely focusing on his, the mitzvah of procreation, or if it, you know, focusing on his wife's needs. He mentions in between there that if a man is doing it to satisfy his own impulses, it's better if he would have controlled himself. Doesn't even like give a man really any any slack. 
And then when it comes to specifically, it talks about oral sex. It says that gazing at the wife's private parts is shameful or it shows a lack of shame is what the term is. And it's forbidden, as Rabbi Yosef Karo says. And he says that oral sex, husband to wife, is not only sh- uh, shows lack of shame, it's disgusting based on the mitzvah uh, of Baltashaksu that a person is not supposed to do, to do something that is disgusting or makes himself disgusted or without getting into the details of it yet. That's basically what Rabbi Yosef Karo says. And then on the matter of, let's say, sexual positions, he basically uh, only addresses two positions that are somewhat creative. He talks about wife on top or side by side, both of which he doesn't explicitly say they're forbidden, but he basically says that both of them are deplorable uh, and show uh, character flaws in the couple, that, per, uh, or at least in the wife, that performs them. So again, what you just read is basically what a person could walk away from, from these laws, basically that the man should be only focusing on the wife or on God, that he should be focusing only on spirituality and piety, Obviously, the things that Rabbi Yosef Kar says are forbidden, obviously, you're going to walk away believing they're forbidden. And in terms of positions, he only mentions these two specific positions and severely denigrating them. And he doesn't mention other positions that a person might be interested in, possibly very quite likely leaving the impression that Rabbi Yosef Karo thought that they were so despicable a person should never even or would never even think of doing them. At least a Jew would not. So let me jump in and ask about the Ramah. I'm not going to call it the famous Ramah because the whole point is that it's not famous. The Ramah, who's the standard posseg for the Ashkenazim in the Shulchan Aruch, unlike the Machaber, who is considered the standard foremost posseg for the Sephardi community. According to the Ramah in Evan Ezer, Simon Cafe 25, there's a very different approach. And I'm going to read what you wrote again. This is your summary of that Ramah in Simon Cafe and Evan Ezer. According to Rabbi Moshe Israelis, that's Ramah, then, God acknowledges, empathizes with, and legitimizes all of a man's and woman's sexual desires and permits them within marriage. Husband and wife may have intercourse anytime they mutually want, meaning even in excess of the Torah's mandate upon him to satisfy her, or, as we shall see, perhaps regardless of what kind of conversation they may be having or may have had just prior. It is natural and acceptable before God for a man to desire to kiss every part of his wife's body, including her genitals, and to actually do so. Although he does not speak of her on the top or side-by-side positions, from the fact that Rabbi Israelis permits anal sex as well as penetration between limbs, we may surmise that the former two positions are not as categorically objectionable as one might have believed from Rabbi Karo's discouragement of them in Orachim. And if anal intercourse is permissible, rear entry, vaginal intercourse is presumably permitted as well. So this is the Ramah's position, And that is obviously quite different from what we mentioned until now. Let me first ask you, in your opinion, I know you have said before that you're not a posik, you're not a halachic decisor. However, you are someone who did a tremendous amount of research on this. And as we said in the previous podcast, your opinion and my position as well in this matter is that somebody who does the research, even if he is not a posik as such, if he knows what he's talking about, has the right to make decisions or to make statements about these matters. So in your opinion, halacha lamase, in practical halacha, do we follow or should we follow the Ramah or the Machaber? It's a very uh, important question, and I would just add one more thing. With the summary that you just read in terms of the Ramah on page 29, there's one more note on page 30 that I'll just read. It says, we are given a key distinction between that which is categorically forbidden or permitted versus that which one may choose to strive toward as voluntary sanctification. It's also an important key. You know, it's, it's funny you ask in terms of halacha maisa, because I remember when I got married 12 years ago, at the time, basically what people were told, you know, and what my friends knew, uh, was there was, you know, there was Shulchan Aruch, which was Reish Mem, and there was the Rambam, 
who basically gives the very permissive ruling, which is what the Ramah basically repeats almost verbatim, which is that a husband and wife are permitted to each other. And uh, a husband man may have intimacy with his wife any time that they desire, obviously not during Nida, but they can engage in uh, regular intercourse, anal intercourse, and intercourse between limbs, which refers to penetration anywhere outside of the vagina or the anus. And people at the time would say, you know, we don't possibly like the Rambam. But then eventually uh, what I came to discover was that the Ramah, who we officially Paskin like as Ashkenazim, I say we because I'm assuming Ashkenazim, but I'm sure there's Sephardim that are listening, but Sephardim have the Rambam in a way, and the Ashkenazim have the Ramah. And then when I would approach various rabbis who are Ashkenazim and ask them about the Ramah, they would give reasons why, well, we don't Paskin like the Ramah in this case. And none of the reasons really made any sense. They were just like, you know, kind of deflecting. Can I ask you what those reasons were in your own experience? Why would they say we don't Paskin like the Ramah? In some cases, they just said, well, in this case, we don't poskin like him. One rabbi said to me, well, rov poskim don't hold like the Ramah, which is lav dafka, per se, because, again, the whole concept of rov, you know, does it apply to achreinim? And even when we look at the achreinim, it's not so clear that there's rov. And in the book, we go through the achreinim as well. When you ask in terms of how do we poskin, again, I really, I, I don't want to poskin for people. The purpose of the book is to lay out the opinions and then allow people to make educated decisions either themselves or to have educated discussions with their rabbis, not only because some rabbis might know all the information and just not share it for whatever reason, but also because I think some of the rabbis might not know all the information. So this gives the opportunity for everyone, and, and especially for the women who are not necessarily trained to read rabbinic texts, to have the opportunity to really understand where it's all coming from, and not just to see a list of sources versus a list of sources, you know, one list that's lenient, one list one list that's stringent, but to understand the background where it all comes from the Gemara, through the Rishonim, through the Akronim, through the Poskim. But I would say that, you know, the typical impression that's, that people have here, for many people, they're not aware of the Ramah and Ebn Ezer, as you mentioned, and then I'm talking about even people that are learned. Part of the problem is that the other basic texts that people generally study, whether in yeshiva as they're in adolescence, you know, when they're reaching puberty or when they're young young men and women, uh, they often just follow what the Shulchan Aruch says. And by that, I'm referring to the kids of Shulchan Aruch, the Mishnah Brura, Chach Masadam, and if you're a Svardi, the Kafachayim. These four Paiskim more or less just echo the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch. But there are other Achreinim who follow the opinion of the Ramah, and uh, included among those are the Levush, who was a, a Talmud of the Ramah, you have the Archa Shulchan, you have uh, Rishon Maluria, the Marshal, you have Rav Yom Tov Lippen Heller and the Lechem Chamudais. But what was most fascinating to me in this research, and at the same time, I would say most disturbing, was that the approach that's brought down in Simon Reish Mem, first of all, it's not the entire statement of Rabbi Yosef Karo himself. What many people don't realize, and this is addressed in the book, is that Rabbi Yosef Karo's main contribution to Jewish thought was not the Shulchan Aruch, at least not as far as I can tell, based on my understanding. His main contribution to halachic thought was the Beis Yosef, which was a commentary on the Torah. The Torah was a Rishon, and the Torah was the son of the Rush. And Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote a commentary on the Torah explaining where the Torah's opinions were based in other Rishonim and in the Gemara. The Shulchan Aruch, on the other hand, was a cliff notes of, short, of sorts, which was to serve as a memorization device for people really after studying the Beis Yosef, for scholars at least, uh, to then you know review it using the Shulchan Aruch. But it's not clear that Yosef Karo ever intended for people just to study other Shulchan Aruch without first studying the Beis Yosef. 
at least not to Paskin out of. But historically, that's not what happened. It became something quite different, of course. Exactly. It became more or less a, a crutch that people assume you open up the Shulchan Aruch and you know all there is to know for practical halacha. And the Shulchan Aruch is structured based on the Torah. So, you know, if you want to see what Rav Yosef Kar wrote on, uh, on the Beis Yosef in regards to these halachas, you would also look in the Torah in Orachayim Reish Mem and in Eben Ezer Simon Chafei. And you see there that Rav Yosef Kar was well aware of other opinions regarding these topics. And obviously, he seems to have poskined certain ways in regards to certain things. But a person who would look in the Beis Yosef would be aware that there's a much broader perspective. Now, why am I getting into this? Because if you go a little bit beyond the Shulchan Aruch and the Beis Yosef, what you basically discover is that Rav Paiskim, the majority of Paiskim who we have, who, uh, you know, whose writings have survived, at least, that we have on these topics, basically presented the baseline halacha of these topics as extremely lenient. And I'm very careful to say that they describe the baseline halacha because a lot of people have the impression, and some teachers teach it this way, and certainly many of the, the halachic guides that are out there teach it this way, that the Shulchan Aruch is basically the baseline halacha, and you need to get a heter from a rav to follow the Ramah, or to follow those who have the opinion of the Ramah. And really, according to the Ramah, or according to Roy Vershainim, the baseline halacha is very, very matir, very, very permissive. I don't like using the word mekel, because people think mekel means akula. It was very, very permissive. And if I, you know, in the book, I try not to inject any of my own personal opinions, but if I can inject one personal opinion, it would be that if a person wants to take the uh, viewpoint of the Shulchan Aruch, of the Rios of Karo, they should get a heter from a Rav to be stringent. That's the one personal opinion I would inject into all this. And when you look in the book, you see we go through the various Gemaras to understand where these laws ultimately come from in the Gemara. And when you learn the Roshanim on these Gemaras, you see that they were, the vast majority of them were very, very permissive. Thank you for listening to part one of our series on sexuality and Jewish law. Rabbi Shapiro and I will be back again next week with part two on the Orthodox Conundrum. This is JewishCoffeeHouse.com.